HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. We've been making cheese in Wisconsin since before we were even a state, which may be one reason why we win so many awards for it. It's what happens when a whole state dreams in cheese. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. I'm Allison Kane, and welcome to In the Sauce, a podcast about building consumer brands from the ground up. I love doing this show because I get to interview everyone from production gurus to marketing and social media mavens, anyone who can guide me on this crazy journey. This is the story of building Haven's Kitchen sauces, but it's also the story of every growing brand because we're all in the sauce. Today, I'm speaking with Greg Lorenzo, a man of many talents and titles. His day job is head of marketing at Stockholm Dreamery, an ambitious Swedish cheesemaker perfecting delicious, fermented, non-dairy cheese, which will be launching in the U.S. later this year. Prior to that, Greg spent three years at Super Coffee, first as an insights advisor and eventually leading marketing and digital. He has over 15 years of experience strengthening brands on both the client and agency side, spending the first part of his career in brand experience before transitioning to human behavioral analysis and insights. Fun. He's guided the strategy for some of the most successful companies and campaigns, including Spotify, Dezeki's, Sam Adams, Gap, and Captain Morgan. Greg also currently invests and advises a handful of lucky food and beverage startups, including Actual Veggies, Isle, Blender Bombs, Duh, Mli, my favorite, Sanzo, Super Coffee, and us, Haven's Kitchen, lucky us. So yay. Welcome, Greg. I'm psyched you're here. Thank you. Hope everyone can learn a little something, or uh, if not, at least hear a good story or two about my earlier days uh, hurting pirates and mermaids. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny because we, you know, I met you through, this is, by the way, this is Tiffin's second shout out, two weeks in a row. I called him out last week in an email podcast, and this one, I'm actually giving him a positive shout out. Thank you, Tiffin. Um but I didn't know how funny you were. Like, I just met you because, you know, I wanted to see if you wanted to be a part of this. And then I guess I, I doing research for the podcast started kind of doing deep LinkedIn diving and it's, it's fun. You're really, you're a funny guy and you have like such an interesting background that this is why I love doing this show. I really get to know the guests. So I'm a, I'm excited. You're funny. That's a lot of pressure. We got to say, <laughs> yeah. we're, we're going to talk a bit about human <laughs> insights and uh, setting the stakes low. But I, I try to hang around amusing people and remember their jokes and and share with others. But I was very impressed with your deep LinkedIn research. Uh, you were able to surface my band camp. I know, I know. I was going <laughs> to surprise you with that one. By the way, there was something I I like years ago. I interviewed John Lawson, and I I found out somehow, I don't know where I like dug up that he played the tuba in his high school band. 
And that was a really fun one. Like there are just some fun things. People are really interesting. People knock yeah. oh, band camp, but it is intense. <laughs> you go for two weeks, you have two a day practices, three hours of pop, there's after, lifting, yeah. there's running. Um, they there's don't joke lifting? around. There's like li- absolutely. Oh, yeah. right. You need physical conditioning to carry your horn around. It, it is no joke. Yeah. It's just after American Pie. I don't think band camp will ever, you know, this one time at band camp. All right, let's talk about insights. <laughs> I want to talk about insights because everyone who listens to this knows I like really try to like stay away from like acronyms and jargon and there's all this stuff that people are always talking about and I'm like, but what does it mean and how are we supposed to apply that to these things that we're trying to grow? And insights is one of them. So like, obviously, I understand what the word insight means, but I I really need to understand how it, A, can, like, what it means in the marketing sort of ecosystem, and B, like, for emerging brands who do not have lots of people who are analyzing lots of things, how can we use them to our advantage, and how do we grab them? That's a great question. So the the term insight is pretty easy to define. Um, I was going to spend 15 minutes on that, but since you already know it, uh, <laughs> we'll get right into the meat. You know, it, it's just finding out um, how to solve a, a complex problem. It, that's super easy to say, right? Just just solve this complex problem. How do I get more people to buy me? How do I get more people to notice my brand? How do I, you know, get more people to um, recognize that I'm different in X, Y, Z against the competition. So yep. that's the easy part. And it's always fun for advisors because you can spew out all sorts of uh, jargon and uh, what sound like intelligent things like go viral and mm-hmm. just, you know, zig when the competition zags. Yeah, um, exactly. I think, hate that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think there are three things that, that I want to talk about that can help uh, get insights uh, discovered by brands and, and help brands stand out. And I think the first thing uh, which, you know, it applies to the person as well as the brand is the spotlight effect. And it's this idea that we think everyone is looking at us mm-hmm. uh, just like as a brand owner, we think everyone really cares about everything um, in our brand, all the details. And so it goes back to uh, some Ivy League scientists uh, in 2000 at Cornell uh, who invited a bunch of subjects into a room. And as soon as one by one, the subjects came in, they said, oh my goodness, you're late. Put on this shirt, go to this classroom. Uh, and um, they, you know, and, and they did. Um, it was a shirt with like a crazy band, like um, tongue sticking out. And um, then they pulled them out of the classroom and they asked them a simple question. Hey, uh, how many people do you think noticed that you stormed into this classroom late? You know, it was a classroom of 20, 25 people. Right. Um, and, and, and most of these folks would say, oh. Um, all of them. Yeah, all, all of them. Exactly. <laughs> and when they pulled the people in the room, uh, hey, do you remember that person who ran into the room with a crazy T-shirt? Maybe a quarter or less noticed them. So, so good. Yes. So, you know, that it can help. It helps a lot of people, honestly, uh, with public speaking where they're like, oh, my goodness. You know, everyone's looking at me. Oh, right. They see know. the pimple or they see that I'm sweating or whatever and they don't notice the thing. Yeah. Exactly. And for brands, though, um, you know, and I, I've been guilty of it as well. Brand managers, brand owners um, can be so into, you know, some of the yep. details on their packaging, everything that they're writing that they think, hey, someone is just going to walk into Whole Foods or walk into Target and see my gorgeous package, which I spent a year on the mm-hmm. shelf making, and they're going to buy it. They're going to understand it. And they just don't. You know, the average supermarket has 40,000 SKUs, individual products. Yep. And so people are just not really paying a lot of attention to each one. So understanding, you know, this is obviously a humbling fact, but understanding people aren't looking at at you as much as you think, people aren't looking at your brand as much as you think. I think it's a good base for insights as when you're asking yourself the question, you know, why don't more people care? Why don't, uh, why doesn't everyone know about my brand? I think the second thing, as we're talking about, okay, you're walking into a store with 30,000 different products. How do we see? 
you know, and this is something that I learned. Uh, there's a great book by Phil Barden called Decoded, The Science of Why We Buy. And okay. you know, I used to think that your eye is a camera. How do you know that a car is a car? Well, you, you're introduced to it as a child. Uh, you're like, okay, this is a car. You take a picture of it and then you see other cars. No, your, your brain doesn't have room to take a picture of every single car. So instead, mm. it puts together lines and colors and, and shapes and recognizes patterns. It knows that anything Pattern with circles, with uh, you know, a, a windshield is a car so that you can see cars that you've never seen before in your life and you can recognize it as a car. Uh-huh. Uh, so that's also the same way that we're shopping for groceries. So um, what happens is the brands that stand out the most, uh, I think the Boston Beer Company clearly read this book or, or just has a bunch of very smart folks. Right. It was my first employer. Um, you know, when you look at a brand like Truly and you mm-hmm. think about, okay, um, how do they stand out? They've made the brand as big as possible across the side and right. all you can see are the big fruit. So um, that's very easy from 20 feet away. You know, they, they're not a bunch of details there. It's just like, okay, that is a brand and the, that, that fruit looks good. I know yeah. it's in the seltzer section. It just, it pops. It's easy to stand out. And so, um, you know, one of the things when, when people are asking, oh, how do I get my package to stand out? The first thing that I suggest to them is go to your set and take mm-hmm. a picture of the set um, and then go back into Photoshop and blur it like yep. 20%, what is standing out? Are there any, you know, um, very clear cues that you see, you know, with, with actual veggies in the burger section? Can yep. folks are, recognize that you're a, a thick cut veggie burger without having to say anything? So I think we can end the podcast here. I feel like that. <laughs> thank you so much. That like, that was 12 minutes of like, I'm really picking up what you're putting down right now. I, I just have to say, I want to stop you for one second because going back to the spotlight effect, the flip side of the spotlight effect is what we talk about on this a lot, which is like brand humility and understanding that you, that not everyone, that you aren't just, I think, I guess what I'm trying to say is like going from a product page on your own website where people are coming to see you is a very, very different journey than being on a shelf with thousands of other things. And that you have to almost like change your whole way of being when you go from X to Y. Because you have to have, they're they're not going to necessarily be looking at you. They're not seeking you out. There has to be something that brings the spotlight to you. Like uh, you're assuming that there isn't a spotlight on you. And so now you have to figure out what am I going to do? That's going to bring it on to me essentially. Yeah. That's a great point. And view it as an opportunity, you know, web, web traffic is terrific and it's a very small percentage. Even the king of influencers, Mr. Beast with Mm -hmm. 120 million YouTube subscribers started out with Feastables just online and and Knight and the, the larger group um, that manages him realized that that wasn't going to scale enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they needed to execute bigger deals with Walmart uh, in order to reach, you know, those 4,500 stores right. and just the hundreds of millions of, of consumers. And so yep. essentially, yes, you're not the center of attention. And, you, you know, by getting into Whole Foods and Wegmans and, and, and some of the bigger ones, what an amazing opportunity now to, yes, you're one of 30,000, but, but to be in front of, you know, first tens of thousands, hundreds yeah. of millions of people. Uh, and so I think viewing it um, as that opportunity may, maybe will help take the stress down is like. Totally. Oh. <laughs> no, it, it takes the pressure off, but also makes, I mean, for me, it makes me feel like, okay, I'm stressing over the ampersand or the plus sign. I don't need to be doing that. I need to be thinking, what is the pattern recognition? What are the big things that are going to pop out, you know, and how do I draw a spotlight onto this thing? And that's very relaxing for me. So I appreciate that. What's the third thing? Yeah, the perfect transition. So <laughs> as you're figuring out, you know, the humbleness of um, where we're a little person in a, a giant pool mm-hmm. um, and how people see, 
now you get to the biggest challenge of, okay, how do I actually make it unique? What am I going to do? How, how do I be how creative? I and so um, one, one of my favorite, it's a quick read books is called A Whack on the Side of the Head. Uh, and eventually it goes back to olden times with kings and queens. Um, everyone was afraid to tell the truth to them except the jester, which we think of, oh, the juggler. Mm-hmm. But the jester also served that role of being honest and uh, they could do it in a fun way. Uh, but they would sometimes provide that whack on the side of the head uh, that, you know, help people get out of their day to day. And so mm-hmm. me, even, even joining a Swedish company and getting to go uh, and tour throughout Stockholm to see uh, Swedish grocery stores mm-hmm. already, you know, a bunch of ideas were, were popping through my head. You know, yeah. they, they have a huge category uh, in pourable yogurt, which I'm sure for all the right. European folks, you're like, why is it in the U.S.? There's, you know, the yogurt industry is a $10 billion industry. Pourable yogurt is like half of the yogurt section. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're just like, wait a second. Or, or the fact there's no natural channel. I mean, we go on. We also have on. a lot of pouches in Europe. <laughs> of their pouches. <laughs> I'm kind of like, where are all the freaking pouches? <laughs> like, why is it so crazy? It's yeah. people are still like pouch sauce. What? Like still. Yeah. And about um, 27 skews of Oatly in, uh, in yeah. Sweden. Um, yes. So the, I, you know, even um, my favorite stories, no relation to my job, but um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg was sent uh, to do some law work in Sweden. And that's her husband was was making partner in the U.S. So she had to bring her child. And, you know, at the time in the early 60s, uh, you know, there was not that dual life of, of women having these big careers and taking care right. of them. She goes to Sweden and, there, you know, there's a judge in her case who's like six or seven months pregnant ruling. And she's like, wait, what? You, you can do that? Yeah. Child care is super prevalent. It, you know, it's easy. There, there's flexibility in the right. place. And, yep. you know, she she gets that experience and, and brings it back to the U.S. and it changes, you know, her outlook on life. Um, we're all just trying to have a Ruth Bader Ginsburg moment. Yeah. Um, but that's you. You need to get out of your routine. Yep. You know, for for me, what if we think about what everyone is doing, which is scrolling and sitting at home? Those are, you know, you're not going to solve your problem of how do I make this pop by, right. by scrolling and sitting at home. It's getting out, it's going, I, you know, small company, I was on a, a sales call today because, you know, we're, we're doing everything right now right. on 157th street, a Swedish pizza place that was coming um, to the U S and they have this idea for beer where they take the foam of the beer, put it in a slushy machine and then pour it back out after it finishes. So you get this like frozen beer, slushy. It's relatively easy. If you think about it, no right. one's doing it here. It, they, they discovered it on a trip to Japan, you know, they're, they're going <laughs> to yeah. be here for the first time. And it's like, that is so cool and relatively simple. And you would never get that yeah. scrolling and <laughs> sitting at home, like just being out, getting that whack in the side of the head, even like taking a new way to work and, and stumbling across something is so important for solving these insights and, uh, co- you know, consumer challenges. Yep. Um, you know, even, even the folks that buy, I, I, I didn't realize this. That started as a, you know, relatively high sugar, high calorie beverage mm-hmm. and the buy five, which ultimately became the buy that we know that, that sold for a boatload of money mm-hmm. uh, was because they noticed, hey, what? Look at those people over there. They're turning around the label. They're really concerned about the sugar content. Mm-hmm. You should buy something with low sugar. It's just like, so basically like the word sight is inside of the word <laughs> insight. And yeah. we, that I just wanted to note that like basically – look, take a look, go, you know, I mean, the questions are, how do I get people to care? How do I get people to buy it? How do I make people, you know, our, our big issue is like, we, we are so many things that are different. I mean, everyone who listens to this, hears me say it, that it's really hard to pick the thing that we need to say the loudest. Like we're already, you know, we're already the only fresh chimichurri. We're already the only sauce in a pouch. We're already like the only, you know, we're the cleanest ingredient panel, all of that stuff. Like, uh, you know, we're keto and we're vegan. Like, it's just, it's like, what do you, we're kind of overwhelmed most of the time with like, and I think what happens is we get into our own sort of eco chamber and basically the net net of this is go, 
look and go ask and see it compared to other things and, and, and get, just gather information, I think is essentially from people that aren't you. Yeah. And start somewhere, you know, at, at super coffee, we were lucky enough at one point to have, I think 13, 12 ounce skews. And at a sampling, uh, we would have folks line all of them up and be like, look how many super coffees we have. And it was overwhelming to folks because you can only drink one coffee at a time. The advice was, why don't we just start with mocha? Tell yeah. them how awesome Mocha is. Tell them you love it. Tell them it's a perfect entry. And once they like that, they're going to naturally look for what else do you have? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, five-hour energy. I, I see people drinking five-hour energy at all times of the day. Start with a 2.30 feeling. That's what they spend the tens of millions advertising. You get people in and then they're like, oh, I can have this at 2.30. I can have this at 7.30 before I go out. I can have this at, you know, 8 in the morning. So um, that's that's super important, especially as we're talking about this landscape of these supermarkets with just so many different products, by the way, not to be that person in Europe, they do this. (laughs) It's Um, okay. You're just back. It happens to everyone when they just get back. (laughs) It it happens to everyone. I went to Europe. I know exactly. Uh, Well, in London. (laughs) Supermarkets uh, in the city were quite small. uh, And so, you know, with less choice, it makes it easier for for your brand to stand out. Uh, There's also less uh, variety as well. You know, we'll have a $5 coffee and a $20 bag coffee. Right, right. Uh, They're they're gonna have uh, much closer to the middle. Uh, But the the net of that is, um, now, you know, the... It's worse for people uh, when there's too much choice. Oh, yeah. We, we call it it's like paradox. You ever, yeah. You ever met those folks who are like, I'm good at insights. I'm good at marketing. I'm good at digital. I'm good. Oh, that. Well, that's how I describe myself. So, but really, <laughs> no, my friend in medical school, I remember she, this was 20 years ago. She called me crying because she, there wasn't a specialty that she was any better at than any other. So she's like, Right now I'm deciding, am I going to be a neurosurgeon or like a, a, you know, a heart person or a liver or a pediatrician? Like I loved it all and I was good at everything. And I was like, I think there's like a term for this. Like, you know, I think it's that paradox of choice there. It's, it's a good thing. She ended up choosing ER by the way, not that anyone cares because she kind of got to touch everything. So that there certainly are these exceptions. I'm sure you're. You're friends with a bunch of them who truly are in everything. <laughs> right. uh, on the other hand, how many times have you met somebody who says, I'm good at 10 things and you question, wait a sec, how can yeah. you possibly be good at that? It's goal dilution. The more yes. that you say right. you you can solve or cure whatnot, mm-hmm. the less someone believes that you can do any of that. So I I believe Cheerios tested this out when they're like, oh, we're heart healthy. We're good for, you know, preventing this or that. It was just, they found it was a lot easier to just focus with one, one message. So I think that that ties into this as well. Um, that one flavor, that one, you know, message, that one occasion or time that that people will use it. They're going to, if they love your brand, they're going to get into everything else. So so really simple. It's a first date, right? You don't want to come to the first date with all your baggage. You leave that for the second (laughs) date, maybe the third. Uh, You you just start simply uh, and charm them. And that's the, I mean, you, you hear, I'm sure from everyone, cliche, less is more. I think that's where it comes from. Well, so this is also going to be a little bit of a segue, but I, I don't know. I don't know how many people know this, but I have this like fantasy about doing a musical where um, it's like about CPG. It's obviously not going to be highly attended by a lot of people, but it makes me laugh. And sometimes like at the office, we all just like break into song. And one of the scenes that I'm now having in my head is like my pouch being like my friend in medical school crying at the end of like act one, because she's just got so many attributes and she doesn't know what to do. And someone being like, you have to choose one, like you have to choose just one. And I feel like there could be a good song, Well, that, you know, we could write. You yeah. know somebody who was in band camp was also a musical I know, theater I mean, guy in high school and okay. middle school. So you're you're talking to the right person. I would gladly. It might be an acapella show. <laughs> I'm just we because 
you know, when they say hire people who are very different from you, I have a pretty like varied team in terms of like diverse backgrounds and ages and all that. But it turns out that like a bulk of us were in acapella in high school, which says something about me. I okay. Think. I like the, I like the efficiency. We're going to say, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. We're, we're not all that different. Yeah, um, okay. Time, yeah. But so quickly before we take a break insights, what, why are you, why was this your thing? Like this, you, this was your thing. How, how did this become your thing and, and what made it that way? Yeah, uh, completely accidentally. So <laughs> I actually started my career in beer and uh, it was literally selling beer door to door, bar to bar for Sam Adams. And mm-hmm. although I loved the passion of Jim Cook, the excitement that went into the creation of every product. And honestly, the lessons that I learned about a company, sales was just not for me at all. And so mm-hmm. I came to New York. I thought I was signing up to join an advertising agency. It turns out it was an event marketing agency. Ah, <laughs> I was uh-huh. my, I, I almost got fired in my first week. Um, <laughs> my, my mom gave me one of those books. It's like dress for the job that you want, not the job you have. <laughs> I'm like, okay. And I had, I'm from the suburbs. I, I had no sense of style. I come in with pleated khakis and like a button down shirt. That's like way too big, like extra long. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> my mom had picked it out for me. Yeah. Like, who is this kid? Right. And they had the costumer go to H&M, a Swedish company, uh, and actually pick me out some clothes um, because they were like, he just doesn't get the culture. Um, so luckily yeah. after I was, <laughs> I was saved um, and I could, I could hide my pleated khakis uh, and uh, shell necklace forever. Um, but yeah, I, I came into New York as a sheltered suburban person, uh, and the first project that I had uh, was working with Randy Weiner in the Box. Which, if you've ever been to the Box, it starts. I have not been to the Box. But... You should probably keep it that way. Yeah, heard um, about it. You no, know, you know. Um, and so, our job was to launch the most interesting man in the world, and <gasps> that's the best. Um, ever. Yeah, it was yeah. quite a, quite a campaign. Which, by the way, for for the insights folks, um, when when we were in prep to launch that, there were so many doubters. It was essentially a play on the Chuck Norris uh, Mm -hmm. plays at the time. And they were like, oh, this is just a, you know, poor man's Chuck Norris. This will never go anywhere. And we, at the time, um, Dos Equis wasn't wholly Heineken owned. So uh, we only had enough money to launch in Texas and California. Mm -hmm. Um, This was, you know, Cinco de Mayo, 2007. Halloween that year, I show up as the most interesting man to a Halloween party um, at, if you ever partied in New York, the, um, oh shoot, what's the, it was the old on uh, 21st and 6th, that old- uh, Limelight. Limelight, yes. Yeah. You, know, you know, um, <laughs> that somehow it was like the last night of partying before it turned into- Right, a- right, right. I show up as the most interesting man and no one knows who I am. They're like, right. are you George Steinbrenner? Of course, the next <laughs> year it made it- um, but I, it was, and that started started throwing um, tequila parties uh, for for Nitos, and and we just my job was basically to to travel around the country and um, throw parties. parties that people remembered, and you know the first there, there was a formula for that, and we'll talk about formulas, right? Um, that the first person to throw a party with a formula of you get some celebrities, you get some fancy drinks, you have a photo booth, um, you have a DJ, like. That was the coolest party. The problem mm-hmm. is, by the time I came onto the scene in you know 2007, 2008, 2009, been there, done that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and that formula was lame. And so I remember showing up to a party my first time in LA, and uh, you know we we had our normal formula, and the owner of our company, big disruptive guy, Michael Bladder, uh, was like, "This isn't good enough. No one's going to remember this." Uh, like, okay, what do we do? He was like, we need mermaids in the pool. We were at the Roosevelt. <laughs> like, Where are we going to get mermaids? Like, figure it out. We we posted on Craigslist. Um, and my, my buddy, um, who was doing teach for America at the time, you know, we're just a few years out of school and I'm like, Oh, you know, come, can you drop me off at the Roosevelt? He's like, okay. As soon as I get there, you know, here's my boss greeting me. He's like, you need to get bike lube to get these mermaids in mermaid costume. And this, and this poor guy was like, what are you doing? Right. What uh, is your job? Yeah. To, you know, you need to hire all these interesting folks. We need a pillow fight room. Um, we need oh a slip God. and slide, but yeah. that, um, 
that ability is we talk about insights when you're deep into it, when you're, oh, I, you know, I got to coordinate this. I got to plan all the details. There's no way for you to then also take a step back for the most mm-hmm. part. Um, and so you need those folks who you can tell where you're at and they can see the bigger picture and be like, whoa, 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 is this bold? Right. Is this memorable enough? And sure enough, you know, we, we had that in, in bladder. Um, that changed the whole formula for us moving forward. We ended up with two years of these incredibly memorable parties in Vegas and New Orleans, all throughout LA, San Francisco. Um, this was honestly before a lot of social media, as crazy as that was. Right. No, um, I know. But the the parties, the reputation preceded themselves, you know, the, these huge lines. And so I know that's tequila parties and uh, pillow fight rooms. But this idea, I think, is very relevant for insights. that You can't do it by yourself. You need, right. um, you need the left right. brain and the right brain. Exactly. And yeah. so, you know, after doing, throwing tequila and beer parties, hanging out with, with Captain Morgan, that was another job, uh, Captain Morgan Wrangler, that is the best job you can have in your 20s. But yes. as soon as you get 30, you're like, wait a second. Yeah. Um, if I do my job really well, I'm going to get somebody to convert from this alcohol to that alcohol. Like, mm-hmm. surely there has to be more than life. And what would I possibly tell my kids that I do? So, right. uh, you know, that's when, but when you're, when you're in it that deep, it's almost impossible to get out of it. Everyone is mm-hmm. like, oh, you are so good at throwing tequila parties. Come mm-hmm. throw my tequila. But it was just like, fine. It, it took a year. And finally, a gentleman, uh, Alistair Lloyd-Jones, took a chance on me um, and was like, okay, I can understand that your, you know, understanding of seeing all these people year after year after year, um, understanding what's cool, um, understanding how to stand out, that can apply to things outside of alcohol. And Mm -hmm. so um, he was running an agency that was providing strategy and insights to Spotify, to Google, to Facebook. It, It was absolutely incredible. I remember renting a convertible and just driving around uh, Silicon Valley. And it's like, oh, we're going to stop at Facebook and meet with this, these folks. We're going to stop at yeah. Google. We ended up getting a, a big thing with Spotify and being able to travel all around the world, um, bringing to life the power of audio and, and putting together their strategy. And it just completely changed my perspective. It was a perfect transition out of the alcohol world and into understanding, you know, not just how consumers tick, but, um, you know, how, how to build brand strategy. And I, I will say, you know, it is so... I. I use folks who have who've been, you know, come up in, in the academic model, have taught, who've, you know, gone to business school. You need that balance. Yep. And having said that, it's so valuable to me to, you know, having spent the first year with distributors out, out in the mm-hmm. selling beer, um, you know, going to, to basically every major city across the country, uh, l- learning about, you know, little nuances or, or what, what makes people remember, uh, yeah. and then building that with the more traditional. So at that point, that's when, uh, you know, I felt ready to branch out, um, start my own consultancy and the, the consultancy eventually led to, uh, super coffee where there, there was just so much to do on the, on the human insights and, and strategy side. It, it just made sense uh, uh, to, to join full time. So cool. All right. We're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back and we're going to talk about other like jargony things that we can break down and make applicable. (laughs) We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. There's a reason when you think of Wisconsin, you think cheese. Cheese is a huge part of Wisconsin's history and future. In Wisconsin, the state of cheese, the tradition of cheesemaking excellence began 180 years ago before Wisconsin was recognized as a state. Immigrants traveled to settle in this lush, green hills of Wisconsin, bringing their cheesemaking traditions with them. These storied skills combined with the freshest milk available created a cheesemaking culture that is uniquely Wisconsin. Wisconsin's 1,200 cheesemakers, many of whom are third and fourth generation, continue to pass on old world traditions while adopting modern innovations in cheese making craftsmanship. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. I'm back with Greg Lorenzo. Okay. So here's one of my questions, right? One of the reasons why I love working with Courtney so much is that you know, I don't, I, I don't know if she's ever talked about her background on my show, but basically like her dad has a bread distribution company 
And it is one of those businesses that has, you know, really amazing highs and very challenging lows, depending on consumer behavior, depending on the economy, depending on all sorts of things. And she grew up, uh, you know, in the factory, making the bread, on the trucks, shipping the bread, talking to the customers, buying the bread, understanding the, you know, the retailer needs for their consumers. And then she did other things. And then she was at Fresh Direct and she was ultimately my buyer at Fresh Direct. And then I called her and basically cried and she left Fresh Direct and came to me. Um, She's also like always been like, we are not the hero of this journey. The consumer is the hero of this journey. Like they we are here to help them. And it it really meshes with my sort of like whole like life philosophy. But I think one of the things that we struggle with, because we we I think the fundamental understanding is there. We we don't think the spotlight's on us. I think we come from a place of humility. I think one of the things that we struggle with a little bit is like extracting. We know that there are people who love Haven's Kitchen. Sometimes we we think we know why. Most of the time we don't. We, you know, like I was just talking to someone. We went global with Whole Foods the week of the pandemic in 2020. And you could definitely say, oh, that must have been, you know, big tailwind because everyone was cooking at home. For sure, everyone was cooking at home, but nobody was going into grocery stores. And they certainly weren't buying things that they didn't already know. And they weren't going into different parts of the store than they usually did. And so we're still a little bit like, why? Why did we do so well? Why did, you know, and we're always, I think, going to be trying to understand that. All of this is to say, Greg, to you, you know, when we ask people what they like about us, they say things. I'm not so sure people know. It's like that old thing when you ask people, you know, whatever they want, they say a faster horse or whatever that expression is. Like, are people able to verbalize this stuff or does it take you scanning them and asking all sorts of questions and then gathering just almost like nuance and energy as opposed to like direct, I like this, I don't like that. Because I feel like that is all relatively unreliable. That was a very long-winded way of getting to a question, but I wanted you to have context so you understand why I'm asking it. Did that make sense? I appreciate the context. And yes, I think we could spend a whole hour discussing why surveys are often flawed and mm-hmm. huge canyon between attitudes and what people will tell you and then the actual behavior. Like I want to eat vegan, but yet, you know, or whatever it is. Yeah, I, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> and one of my, yeah, you you have an idea of it, and it, you know, it has to do so much with how we buy and mm-hmm. uh, the rational and, and irrational sides of, of ourselves. One of my favorite. Uh, behavioral economist Richard Schotten runs all sorts of tests in the supermarket where they will ask people coming out, you know, how much did you spend? And then they'll actually look at their receipt and the Mm. folks who paid cash will overestimate because removing the pain of those bills makes it feel like they spent more than they did. And of course, the folks that use credit card uh, will will underestimate and and, Mm. and think, oh, wow, the credit card companies are so nice. All of this touch payment and it's so they make it's so easy for me to just click a button yeah <laughs> that's because they're hiring a bunch of behavioral psychologists to tell you you'll spend more when payment feels less painful right uh, so it's worth it for them to spend <laughs> hundreds of millions of dollars so um mm. yes 
to the the question of people aren't necessarily telling you the truth and it's it's not their fault i think no, they don't know it they can't they don't know what they're even thinking yeah a famous grocery store experiment uh in the wine section where they had german wines on one side french on the other and they did tests where they would play german music for <laughs> an hour and then french music for the other hour and it would shift from 75 percent german oh my gosh and no one would realize it they would make all these oh yeah well i just fell in the mood for french wine. right um so however <laughs> there are going to be um little glimmers of truth that that come to pass uh especially in ride-alongs especially if you're if you're talking to enough folks you know again the the buy example where sure people probably didn't know why they were buying buy but certainly this idea of turning around the label to see how much sugar was a mm-hmm. real insight uh that could uh, attract um a, a pretty big change in, in the company. And so uh, yep. one of my favorite things that was uh, unfortunately banished during COVID that should be back are the ride-alongs or yeah. safari. They're coming back. Um, so you you yeah. find a few of your your loyalists or maybe even people who, who buy you casually and uh, you sign up, you know, you, you certainly compensate them for the day, a few hundred bucks. And generally they like um, opening up their world to you, but you, it's just that you ride along with them. Uh, if you do well, you also will sometimes meet their friends out for drinks to get a sense more of wow. their world. Um, and, you know, even doing this with two or three folks is enough. So, you know, two or three days of your time um, yeah. is enough to get a real sense of your buyer's worlds, things that are important, um, you know, building on that, obviously, with um, some additional deep interviews. And, you know, so it's so important with those interviews uh, to at least see their body language. You know, the phone just yeah. it because so much is said just in their body language uh, and, and the nonverbal cues. So can I ask you like a brass tacks question? So like when you were doing that, I mean, I don't know if you can talk about Super Coffee specifically, but like any any brand that you were doing that with, what you, you what kind of questions, first of all, like you actually spent the day with them and just like, picked up their laundry and walked their dog and just saw what their lives were like and what was important to them. And it literally. Absolutely. It's some of the most fun to get into uh, the world. And there, there are a whole group of strategists who, who will do this. You know, they, um, they used to do it at, at Diageo. um, Right. And yeah, it, it provides such, um, such a different perspective on, yeah. on the consumer. Um, and so you're really, you're quite honestly, you, you're obviously warming up, but you're really getting deep with them. You're yeah, going to get a sense of um, what motivates them, who's important in their lives, what, uh, you know, what good and bad things have, have happened in, in their lives. And, and the more that um, you're able to show that, uh, you know, you can listen and, uh, you know, it, it's a safe zone, um, mm-hmm. the more they're willing to open up. And, and so really it just takes, uh, a certain personality, uh, yeah. more so than others to, um, you know, be thoughtful, but, but yet calm, um, and, and get a ton of information out of, out of customers. You know, one of the, one of the great things, um, that we got out of the super coffee customers, uh, is that there were a lot of second chance people. So, so people essentially, they were using super coffee as part of their second chance at life. And that Mm. everything from, you know, they had, um, they lost a bunch of weight and now they're starting fresh to even, you know, they were incarcerated and then they're starting fresh. And, uh, if you wonder what, you know, what does that have to do with zero sugar coffee? It makes, it starts to make sense when you're like, wait a second. Um, you know, so much of what we were solving was, Hey, you're drinking super sugary coffee. Uh, you need, um, you know, it, it's certainly not good for you. You, you probably right. need to gain weight. You're not feeling good after it. Uh, but you know, it, it tastes good. It's, it's impulsive. Um, and so of course, something that is better for you, healthy, makes you feel great, lasts longer is going to go well and, and be suggested by, you know, whether it's doctors or, or folks in mm-hmm. the recovery groups or, you know, is, the word starts to spread and we're like, wait, there's a huge 
insight. We, yeah, we, that you know, is like, a huge insight. You know, it was it was started uh, by Jordan for his basketball teammates in college. And you think, yes, this is amazing for after practice, uh, drink a super coffee or be good for go, good to go for class. And right. here, now we've gone to a group of you know, 40, 50 year old folks to right. lease in life. You're like, Oh my goodness. But yeah, it's amazing. Start to unlock communication opportunities, d- different partnerships. We can really take advantage of that. And one of the cool things, I think captain Morgan is a great example. Okay. So we travel the country with the captain and his team of Morgan. Um, we were going to college bars. He would get up, throw out t-shirts. Um, we had marching bands behind us. You would think, okay, captain Morgan college kids. No, no, no. Right. The largest consumer of Captain Morgan are 40-year-old women. Um, wow. They go to, uh, they buy handles at, at liquor stores. Um, however, you can, because that's one channel, so you know when you're in, um, you know, a liquor store, you're going to talk a certain way. Right. That doesn't mean that you can't build a, an audience and keep that pipeline going. So when those people turn, you know, 35, 40, 45, um, they're going to start buying those handles. Um, so it's okay. Don't, don't be afraid if you find something that is a great target for your brand, but maybe it isn't the expected core. Right. Um, if it's a, if it's a separate channel, it's okay to have a separate message. Now, again, that's, that's when times are good when you can afford to have yeah. messages. Uh, but it's just interesting that you can discover these, these channels just through, and that was, yeah, through interviews, through ride alongs. And again, it starts with just an inkling. Okay. One person says it, then wait a sec. You know, there seems more. to be a pattern. Yeah, start to build up, and then you can start to predict with people before you even meet them, um, and that's when you're like, okay, I think I think we're on to something. And well, again, we yeah, yeah, we're learning something interesting. You know, with our QR codes on the back of our pouches, because we you know we put them we put them on the corrugate, we put them on the pouch, so that we could basically like our whole thing isn't just like selling the product. As you know, it's like. You don't need a meal kit. You don't need to be a chef. Like you can do this. We just are here to help with like that last mile, right? Like you got this. And so part of the, you know, what I've learned teaching cooking for 25 years is it's not just the act of cooking that puts people off. It's thinking about cooking. Mm -hmm. It's thinking about shopping. It's thinking about who's coming to dinner and what do they like and did they like it the last time. It's obviously the act of the chopping and the, you know, the simmering and then it's the cleaning. So it's a whole thing. It's not just one thing. And so we put these QR codes on there to give them not only, you know, ideas like use this to put on your thing, but like a shopping list that they can text to themselves, which we think is really cool. And, you know, our retailers think is really cool. And we thought that's, you know, when you look at the QR code data, we were like, people are going to be like, what, what should I make with this? What we found is at 6 PM on Sundays, we have like a massive spike in the QR codes, like Mm -hmm. in, in people looking at them and that, and we're like, Okay. And then we started asking some questions. And what we're learning is that people are actually getting really fed up with all of the cooking content out there. It's either behind, you know, paywalls or it's, there's tons of SEO or whatever it is. And they're actually going to our QR code on our pouch to meal prep for the week, which is like really freaking cool. Um, not exactly what we thought, not exactly how we want to message it to our retailers. So if they're listening, they also look at them in the store and download grocery lists and build incremental baskets, but kind of like they're, they're being used in a totally different way than what we thought. So there is an insight. Now, what do we do with it? You bet big on it. You, if that's, you know, everyone is looking for, their special thing that that separates them, and I, th- I think especially in a time like now where money's getting a little tight, investors' wallets seem to be mm-hmm. <laughs> up. Uh, you know, those who are aggressive at what they're doing best are going to stand out. So, if you have you know the the ultimate Sunday night solution, you know, is there is there a way to make 
YouTube content around it as well so that it comes to life. You know, I can't tell you how many um, how-to videos do <laughs> extremely well on YouTube. It's yeah. incredibly successful um, with with advertising because we know exactly the folks going on to learn how to do, you know, this yep. or, or that. Um, you know, where where else can that come to life, you know, in in content, in real life, um, in in helping folks, um, in even being around, you know, in ride-alongs when this happens in, in real time to learn mm-hmm. else about it. But I think choosing those one or two big things that you're going to bet on and invest money in uh, right. is vital now to, to succeed. I think that the biggest mistake <laughs> you can make is doing a little of everything. The yep. biggest mistake you can make is not doing anything at all uh, yep. time when, when money is tight. Because, you know, in some regards, if, if advertisers are pulling back, if, if CPG, you know, startup CPG is tightening its belt, that means there's less saturation. So it's a time to shine if you have something that's great. Uh, yeah, I want to talk about that a little bit because you segued into, you know, I, people are calling it a bloodbath, a reckoning, a culling. Uh, you know, it sounds like <laughs> it's like really not pretty, the words that people are using for, you know, so my very, you know, basic, from my perspective, summary is investors basically decided yesterday that all these cars that are driving on a highway at 80 miles an hour in one direction need to not only brake, but now turn around, drive in the other direction, but do it going forward. Like it, it's just like a, it's like a very, you know, that's a weird analogy, but they're not expecting everyone to stop growing. They're just expecting everyone to get profitable and, you know, get their margins in order. But these companies haven't really been trained that way. It's not that they, to be clear, they're all saying they still want to see that type of growth. I don't know exactly how they plan on the companies doing it, but needless to say, everyone's that, That's nervous. for you to figure out. They just want to say it. Right, exactly. <laughs> so, okay, great. So everyone's supposed to grow organically um, at, you know, whatever, you know, 50 to 300% a year, but they're supposed to do it profitably and they're supposed to get profitable in the next, you know, couple of months. They're also facing, obviously, investors. They have their own challenges from their LPs and all these angels that have been in the game are now, you know, I'm not sure I'm following on. I don't think that was my mandate to begin with. There's a lot of stuff in the ecosystem. And you have grocery stores that are a little bit, um, you know, they've just gotten, I just, they've just gotten punched from every angle, you know, they were healthcare workers. They were keeping, you know, they were emergency, literally relief workers. Then they were, you know, then they got all these brands that had to raise their prices because of the supply chain stuff. And now they raise their prices and they're just, everyone's just scared and freaking out. Um, and consumers are like, my eggs are no longer affordable. And there's like, I can't eat chocolate anymore. So, I'm just going to go crawl under a rock. And that's, is that a, do you, do you agree with my sort of summary of the scenario that we're in at the moment? I need to take a deep breath after all that. We're <laughs> ventilating. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And it's not all bad, right? I mean, it's, I mean, it, it's, it's not great. Um, but there is, like you said, there's going to be less competition. There's like, we all have heard, like, it's a great time to build and, really, you know, reflect on the things that matter and prioritize the right channels. And it's going to be sad because there's going to be, there is going to be some real collateral damage. Um, yeah. So I would say um, the good news for emerging brands is that we are forced into figuring out, you know, profitability and margin and all of that when we're smaller so we actually have less undoing to do than, let's say, a brand that's at 50, 60, not profitable, huge team, and now all of a sudden has like a reckoning coming. And those are the ones that 
I think are going to be the the bigger news. But, you know, for an emerging brand, for a smaller brand, we actually might be a little bit protected from this great culling of 2023. Um, But we're nervous. We don't know where to spend money. We know we have to spend some money. What, what, What say you, Mr. Insight Man? Well, I spent this weekend helping my parents move out of their house that they've had for 40 years. And for everyone who has a house, you know, you have mm-hmm. floors and then you also have a basement and an attic. Mm-hmm. It generally happens in that. It just is filled with stuff. And I'm just as guilty. I was keeping um, about a car's worth of stuff uh, in my parents' basement for the last 20 years. It was all stuff that I didn't really need, but somehow I had collected. Uh, And I I think there's a lot that can be said. Um, You know, I remember when I first um, took a job, I I, um, ran a pop-up crepery for a summer. I moved from Chicago to Boston. All I had room for was two suitcases. And I, you know, a bit of a hoarder. I have a lot of stuff. So I'm just like, oh, how am I going to survive two suitcases? You have a lot of books. That's right. But I figured out what could what could fit in two suitcases. Uh, I left everything else in the house, and guess what? I I was fine. I had my brain, right. laptop, some clothes. You don't need it all. And I lived a much more efficient life, and so mm-hmm. I think you know it has been so easy to make new SKUs, to mm-hmm. um, jump into new product lines, and for the most part, that's a great way in the short term to increase your numbers, grow through distribution. It is so easy to sell new things to new buyers, mm-hmm. get a big fill order and then get just, big press, get, yeah. get, get, get lots of buzz. Yeah, totally. So yep. this is a time to take your two suitcases, leave yeah. a lot of the junk in the house and, um, a great analogy. you know, start moving forward with, with the core. I think everyone, um, that you talk to all of, you know, the brands that I invest are here because they have a few things that are great. Just, just a couple, like a few skews that are great, Mm -hmm. whether it's blender bombs with, with their awesome smoothie balls, um, our chimichurri. Yeah. (laughs) Your chimichurri, (laughs) of of course. Of course. Uh, And that's where, um, the money can be made and yeah. that's where the focus needs to be. If you can really completely kill it with three SKUs, four SKUs, put your yep. money in there, uh, make that your big bet. Yep. Good things will come. you start to see, um, you know, formulas for success with your own business in, mm-hmm. in certain metros that then you can go back to investors and say, Hey, you know, we, we were just focusing on these three or four SKUs in New York City and San Francisco. Um, look at how much we've grown our velocity. Yeah. We can now do this in Philadelphia, we Tampa, et cetera, with this more money. So, um, yeah, the hard one. I mean, I, I totally agree. We actually cut two SKUs last year because, you know, I'm 50, as everyone knows, and I've lived through a few cycles. So <laughs> I, I, I think I was like slightly on the early side of that. But I would also say that the hard one is the retailers. We have to start saying no to certain retailers. Um, That is very hard to do. It's a hard pill to swallow. It looks like you're not growing. It looks like you're not moving forward. But some of these retailers, if you really look at the margin, you know, and I've said this like, There are certain retailers that you should not consider a sales channel, that you should consider a marketing channel, and that is totally fine as long as you know what the goals for that channel are. If they're a marketing channel and you don't even look great and, you know, you're not reaching who you want to reach anyway in that channel, but it was a nice fill order, as you said, then you need to seriously consider whether or not you want to be in that retailer. And I think that's where early stage companies are going to have a hard time with that messaging. You know, I think sophisticated investors will understand it. I think um, a lot of us are nervous to sort of say, hey, you know, we're doing like, you know, whatever, 41% here and we're doing this 
18% here when you take into consideration X, Y, Z, and it's not working. So that it's a great point. And mm-hmm. telling retailers no, or, you know, we, we have to hold off is incredibly challenging. Uh, however, and, and look, I, I moved from, you know, a company with, with a lot of money, a lot of reach to now I have the smallest company of any of the companies that I advise. We're, we're not even making money in, in the U S yet. Right. Uh, and so what, what we're doing, you know, when, when I jumped in, there was a plan in place, um, a very aggressive growth immediately going to, to some of the bigger retailers. I was like, wait a sec, we, we don't have a name. We don't have equity. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to get these fill orders and then just sit on the shelf. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, the most important thing that we can do, yes, by, by coming in and, and slowing it down, um, there is short-term profit loss. However, uh, you know, that's where involving the investors, um, talking them through it, right. uh, making them feel like a part of, of the decision-making process can be helpful so that it's not just an informing them six months after you said no to the largest retailer and then being like, right. heck, it's proactively going and saying, look, this is our situation. Um, would you rather see short-term growth, but a question of whether we can maintain any sort of velocity here? Or would you rather us say no, have us not report as, as good numbers to you? Mm-hmm. By saying no, now have more resources to focus on these three retailers um, where where we can grow velocity and tell a better overall story that could be more attractive to right. other investors coming in. Yep. No, makes sense. Okay. Here's the thing. For deck building, I want to talk about deck building. I'm always building a deck. I'm building a deck right now. Every time I build a deck, I go back to my other decks and I change them. And I'm not talking about like a deck for a meeting. I'm talking about a retailer deck or a pitch deck or whatever. I Decks are great for me. I'm a visual thinker. I like to map it out. One of the things that I'm having a hard time with is proving, right, that there is this brand love. There's real loyalty. When you have D to C repeat numbers, you can put that number up. You know, obviously our velocity numbers, I think, speak to repeat. They're not necessarily like a, a perfect through line. And those are incredibly strong. How would you help me in my deck basically put together a page or two that proves not just like community, like bullshit community, like real community, real brand love, real like loyalty. There is a there there. Now we have this thing. It's time to scale it. And here's the plan. Well, that's telling the story, writing the deck. And it's funny because when I first came into Super Coffee, my first role uh, was to help them write the the Series C deck uh, mm-hmm. for, for $100 million. And we started telling the story and we were like, wait a sec, but we haven't written the story yet that we want. So we actually deleted six months and, and worked uh, based on the story we wanted to tell to actually make those things right. true. And so that the, the important thing, yeah, before, <laughs> before we tell the story, we, we have to make the story. And, uh, you know, the brands that I've seen be really successful with that, have focused on a very small area uh, to try and see big results. You know, Olipop did a great pop-up in Columbus, Ohio, where you're dealing with far less noise than than in New York City. Um, you know, Sanzo with Disney um, okay. or, or Lin Sanity as well, um, you know, teaming up for the documentary, getting a bunch of attention, a bunch of press. It starts to make the brand feel bigger than it is. Bigger. Remember, yeah. um, it's like Jing. Jing is the queen of, I mean, she's the best. So, well, yeah. When A Rod was looking, A Rod and J Lo, back when they were together, rest in peace, um, were looking to invest in us. Um, their agent randomly was in Buffalo and he asked somebody at the supermarket, Hey, what do you think of this super coffee? Mm. And the guy was like, Oh, the founder was just here a few weeks ago. They're great. We sell a ton of it. And they were like, What? What? How did yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, obviously, those are that's that's chance. Um, right. However, the, I, you know, again, for, for me, it goes back to 
these big bets and and thinking even not even New York City, you know, with, with, with Stockel, we're thinking, OK, we're the most delicious uh, plant based cheese, you know, starting in, in a cream cheese form, actually fermented. Um, who's going to be most excited about this? And just walking up Manhattan Avenue between Williamsburg and Greenpoint, it's like, mm-hmm. oh, my goodness, there there's a gourmet store and a bagel shop almost every single block. Mm-hmm. I don't know what's going on in this neighborhood. Clearly, <laughs> if there's this much saturation of these type of stores, this is absolutely the audience for me. So when we're talking about like go small, we're not even talking about, oh, one metro, New York City, you know, that's 10 million people. We're talking about like two neighborhoods go small. So, right. uh, you know, outfit a food truck and, and send it up and down, give samples, be at those events, um, have a publicist seated to all the folks, um, you know, work, work with a local distributor. And again, I, I just threw out what could be a hundred to $200,000 worth of ideas. I'm not saying do all that, but right. think um, really small, uh, and big bets on small things. Yes, big bets on small things. Uh, big that's fish. the name of your book. <laughs> I like that. Well, that, but that's then you're actually going to see stuff. If you can be the cream cheese in um, Greenpoint, if you can be the chimichurri sauce in Tribeca, you right. know, that's at least a start that's going to get people excited. And oh, by the way, you're the thing in Tribeca, there are a whole bunch of investors that live in Tribeca as well. Right. I think that was one of Oatley's secrets. I feel like they covered all the bus stops right by where all the bankers are in Brookfield Place. Oh my God. I was like, wait a second, right before they went public. Um, there's a, I mean, go, that goes back to uh, Deep Eddie when they were looking mm-hmm. uh, to get into Costco. They found where the Costco buyer lived and they bought billboards in his route from his home to right. his office. And they're like, wow, this brand is taking off. And it was like super it's like, small. who's the, there's like that famous one where they like put the, put the cans, you know, they put cans of like, oh, Red Bull. They put, yeah, they, exactly. Oh, like everyone must be drinking this stuff because, yeah. All right. <laughs> Liam gave me five minutes. And I've taken six and I want to be respectful. Um, all right, sir. Is there any last licks you want to get out? We did not talk about Bandcamp. We did not talk about how funny you were on LinkedIn, but everyone should follow you. Can you give one last word of insightful human behavior wisdom before we say goodbye? Oh, my goodness. That's a lot of pressure. Um, <laughs> no, I can't. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I will give one more. Um, okay. It's one of my favorite effects. It's called the Pratfall effect. Um, oh my God. They, a group of psychologists studied uh, people observing someone get a perfect score on a test. And they asked them, oh, you know, what do you think of that person? Oh, he's kind of full of himself. I don't know. You know, it seems so smart. They then observed the same part, uh, a different person getting a perfect score on the test and then spilling his coffee all over himself and walking out. And there was, um, you know, the responses suddenly switched to, um, oh, you know, he's very human. I can relate to that guy. He seems like a cool guy. And so right. idea that, um, you know, that certainly in this environment, there needs to be a lot of confidence uh, to get through challenging times, to stand up in front of investors. Um, and, and even with brands, you know, people have to believe that your brand is high quality. Mm-hmm. Um, so confidence is high. And if you can find a way to make yourself human, to show right. some Don't of your abilities, <laughs> it can make a huge difference between um people, you know, passing on you and people Mm -hmm. really liking you. I I think that's one of the Super Coffee's brother's strongest suits, um, especially the middle brother, Jake. He leaves every single conversation with the people feeling better when they left the conversation than when they started. It is by far a superpower um, and you can get a lot further in life. So beautiful. I mean, it kind of goes back to humility, right? Spotlight. Amazing. Right. I hope I hope everyone is uh, is feeling a little better after this. But no, I think they are. I am sure they are, and I can't thank you enough. It was amazing. I took so many notes, so many books that I'm about to go and buy. (laughs) I'm sure I could do some affiliate link thing if I were savvy, but I'm not. Big Um, bets in little places. I got to start writing the book now. In little places, exactly. Um, Thank you so much for coming on, Liam. Thank you for engineering and for giving me that extra time and for your patience as always. I will not be uh, back next week with another episode of In the Sauce. I'm going to be back in two weeks. Um, And so I'll see you all then.
In the Sauce is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.